This is the Huddle Up Podcast with J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, and John Osher. Welcome to the new era. The Huddle Up Podcast starts right now. Welcome into another edition of the Huddle Up Podcast. Today is Wednesday, April 21st. J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, John Osher, plenty coming up, including one Trevor Lawrence ending any speculation with a tweet. The NFLPA statements on behalf of most NFL teams, but not one that uh, we're affiliated with. And Trent Balky talks. The Jaguars GM spoke with the media this week ahead of the NFL draft. We'll get a social media question or two as well. Bucky Brooks, John Osher joining me now. Bucky in Los Angeles. We're about a week away. Thank goodness. Let's just get oh, this man. thing going. Man, so excited. Just so excited to see how everything turns out. Obviously, we're assuming that Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one. Safe. But it's the rest, the rest of the squad. Just making sure we get enough blue chip players because JP, John, it, it takes 10 to 12 blue chip players for you to field a Super Bowl contending team. So we got to make sure that we stockpile and kind of up to Annie when it comes to those stars. Yeah, better have one. I mean, uh, this Trevor kid better be the real deal. <laughs> Good start. If Good not, start. here's the thing. I get it for the good of the franchise, but I will feel after talking about it for four months, the buildup, I'd almost feel personally cheated if he's not good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all about, it, it's all about you know, John. Bucky, it's all about uh, anyway. I know. I know. I know. It's all about I know. John. I know. I know. I'm, I'm learning. I'm sure there have been situations like this before. I mean, I guess every number one overall quarterback is talked like this and assumed, but. I mean, this is one of the surest bets that you've had come into the league in a long time. So the draft is a percentage game. So uh, the percentages are with the Jags. That's the good news. And remember to subscribe to the official Jaguars podcast network on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. There are pods everywhere these days. Thank you for choosing us as part of your podcast listening routine. Give us the five-star treatment as always. Let's continue the conversation here on the Huddle Up podcast about Trevor Lawrence. He, well, if there was any speculation, which there really wasn't, well, he kind of ended it on Sunday with a tweet of his own. There was a Sports Illustrated article that came out and a couple of his comments in there, you know, some pundits went the wrong way with them and he quickly came back out and uh, reaffirmed what he said and was fine with it. And then he thanked the Jaguars fans in a tweet on Sunday. He said, we really appreciate the wedding gifts and donations for the charities of our choice. In addition to the donations, Marissa and I will also be donating $20,000 to charities in Jacksonville. Thanks again. We hope to be a part of your community soon. And that was the end of the tweet. I think they are excited to be here, Bucky, which you know, national, a lot of national media types won't even believe. I think this is the perfect marriage in, in terms of uh, not only Trevor being who he is in terms of what we think he will be as the player, but I think his demeanor and how he embraces being the franchise quarterback. He embraced it when he was at high school in Clarksville, Cartersville. He embraced it when he was at Clemson, and he's certainly already embracing it down in Jacksonville. And a lot of what it is to be the franchise quarterback has little to do with on the field and more to do with what you represent in terms of being QB1. I think we already see that he has a level of maturity that will enable him to handle all the responsibilities that come along with being the face of the franchise. Bucky, I think it was you a couple of weeks ago talked about it. And I know we kicked around on this show. Some guys were born to be QB1, so to speak. It's amazing to me, and it's telling to me that Trevor Lawrence has been 
QB one, not only on his own team, but in the country for what, four or five years now, mm-hmm. which, which a couple of things are encouraging for Jaguars fans. I think it's different. I never played, but I've talked to enough players to know it's different when you have that on you all the time for five, six, seven years, you come out of that different than if you were say Mac Jones, I'm not, I'm not criticizing Mac Jones, but anybody else, Mm -hmm. because everybody else could argue that they've got some, uh, something to prove, or maybe somebody was overlooking them. He's been the target, not only a target, but expected to be a leader by teammates and setting the example within his building, probably since he can remember that won't be a new thing when he comes in here. That won't be something all of a sudden he's dealing with. It's something he's very well prepared for. And he's always been the leader of the team, always been QB one. Furthermore, and I, I know you and JP have heard me say this before the world of football has had four years to pick this kid apart and still can't do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's unbelievable to me. I mean, it, it, it really only compares with maybe luck. Even when Peyton was coming out, you know, 22, 23 years ago, mm-hmm. there were questions. There were people saying, well, he's not this, he's not that, or, you know, so he turned out to be the perfect prospect, but it was a Ryan Leaf, mm-hmm. Peyton Manning debate. Very few have ever been the guy, unquestioned the guy, like this kid is. It's fascinating, but he couldn't be more prepared for it. No, he couldn't be. And I, I think you touched on something, John, that is kind of like one of the underlying things. And I, I'm, I can't wait to see how this plays out. I don't believe that Trevor could walk around and operate with a chip because I don't think he's ever seen himself as the underdog. Right. He has never had an opportunity to be the underdog. And so when you take Trevor Lawrence, who has that attitude, and then you also take Urban Meyer, who I don't think he fancies himself as being an underdog. I think for us in Jacksonville, I think this is a new way of thinking, right? Because for so so many of us, like when it comes to Jacksonville, like, hey, we don't get enough attention. We don't do this. Look at us. Like we're just scratching and clawing. And I think what you're going to see is from a cultural standpoint, it will be a different approach that when – the Jags walk out, particularly under the leadership of those two guys, they are going to puff out their chest a little bit and feel like, no, 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 this is not an upset. This is not a surprise. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to win games. And that changes because when that begins to happen, that becomes contagious and infectious. And you begin to, there's this saying like a winner's win. Guys just kind of figure it out. And those guys have always won. And so I think a lot of the hope and a lot of the comfort in pairing Trevor Lawrence up with Urban Meyer is because they've always won and they'll just figure it out. Yeah. Not everybody needs a chip, John. Like, I mean, you, it's okay to be good at what you do. Right. I mean, and have been good at what you do for a long time. And that's the case certainly with Trevor It's certainly the case with urban. And that's a great point, Bucky, about just changing the mindset around here. Now there will be adversity. Mm-hmm. That's just how it's going to go in the NFL at times. There'll be some losses and some things maybe not go as well as everybody planned. How do they work out of that is something I think a lot of people will see. But the general mindset, John, uh, it seems like it's going to change. As Bucky said, it's, it's fascinating in this sense. I'm not sure there's ever been, and I've done the research, certainly in the modern era, there's never been a head coach, quarterback combination come into the league as – unused to losing is these two because mm-hmm. you know if you think about it andrew luck didn't come in like that he was he played at stanford he won 
but he certainly had a taste of not winning national championships there or not competing for them. And then he was playing for Pagano and Bruce Arians. So there wasn't really that dynamic. When Peyton came in, he had had success at Tennessee. You know, all the dynamics, it's absolutely fascinating. I agree with Bucky. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle that. And I'm not going for the cliche here. Well, how's Urban Meyer going to handle losing? He's never done it. But can that translate to the NFL? And will that sort of rub off on their teammates of we're not expected to lose it? JP, I felt like there was an element of that in 2017 around here when uh, Calais came in and when those guys started to win. It wasn't exactly like this, but I remember talking to Doug Marone during that. He was a little fascinated by the team's mindset because he said a couple of times, yeah, they're good, even though maybe they, nobody expects them to be. The confidence of that team sort of transcended anything they'd ever done. And I remember Doug saying, I don't want to tell them they're not supposed to do that because <laughs> it's working. You know, and there was a little bit of an element of that, if you remember, yes. of why are these guys so confident? And they were brash and whatnot. Well, I think Trevor and Urban sort of have earned that. And it will be fascinating to see if, if they can come in and sort of carry that forward where people in Jacksonville and the Jaguars team thinks, you know, what, why shouldn't we be good? It's an interesting dynamic. And um, we'll find out as the spring and summer moves along and obviously on into training camp and the preseason and beyond. This is the Huddle Up podcast. J.P. Shadrick, John Osier, Bucky Brooks, glad you're along with us. Some big news uh, over the weekend, uh, late last week, over the weekend, a few teams, well, most teams in the NFL now have issued statements from the NFLPA opting out, saying they're not coming to voluntary workouts. Uh, well, some teams are saying, okay, well, there's some guys that need the bonus money. They're, they can go. They can do their thing. Um, the Jaguars, by the way, I think have the third highest offseason workout bonus money in the NFL. Uh, there has not been a, an announcement via the PA for the Jaguars as of yet, but over 20 teams, Bucky, have done this. Uh, so far, it's uh, status quo here in Jacksonville, though. Yeah, it's status quo. So it, here, here's the thing, because it's really interesting how, how this goes, right? So the NFL PA has certainly been pushing for uh, a virtual offseason where you don't have guys come in. You kind of minimize the contact and the work and those things. And for some teams, like, that's great, right? It's, it's great because you have veteran players and all the continuity and all that other stuff. Jacksonville is a little bit of a different situation for a couple of different reasons. One, the team hasn't really been good. you got a new head coach coming in. The team is going to skew younger than most other teams. And then you bring up something that is really an under-discussed part of it, the workout bonus program. So the end run around that stuff is – Okay, look, it's voluntary, but guess what? If you come to 80% of your workouts, you get X amount of dollars. And so you will see more teams begin to do that. It reminds me of when I first entered the league in the mid-90s. That was kind of the end right. If you want 100% participation, you have to pay the guys to show up to do it. Because at the time in Green Bay or other places, like, I don't want to be there, spend my entire offseason there. But, I mean, if you're going to direct deposit a couple – coins i mean I, I you know i can i can i can find my way there a few so i think that's what you'll begin to see you'll see teams do it and so the fact that you haven't heard a major statement from jacksonville is some of those guys like i'm, I'm not losing any, I'm not losing any paychecks right. because of that so that's what it is so before john can get mad at the players and stuff for not coming up hey 
they'll show up. You just have to incentivize them. <laughs> no, I'm actually not. I mean, I don't want to misrepresent this. I'm not mad at players for not showing up because I absolutely believe when it's voluntary, and JP has heard me say this over the years, if guys don't want to show up, that's fine. I just, as a union in mass, it strikes me as interesting that older veteran players are saying that it's not necessary when I wonder if it's really not necessary for younger players. And the other side of that is, from a football standpoint, you can't tell me that the level of play for a young team with a first-year head coach and a first-year coordinator won't be affected if you don't have on-field work for those 10, those 10 OTAs in the minicamps. It, it just defies reason that you wouldn't be able to get something out of that. So it, I just wonder, guys, uh, Bucky and JP, if at some point, if there's any way to collectively bargain in the future some sort of happy medium where you can meet in the middle on this, because I don't care what the NFLPA says. I don't believe that it benefits the quality of play. That just doesn't make sense to me that you wouldn't get some sort of benefit out of having guys here. And I do wonder if there's a way to collectively bargain into it to where you could have people here who it would benefit. Maybe not. Yeah. And I, JP, by the way, yeah. Bucky can't really relate to this <laughs> because he was making so much when he was playing. Right. No. It's a good point. Not, paltry not, workout bonus was not a all. big deal. Oh, oh my gosh, man! I would, I would Don't love to it. have a little, a little, a little workout bonus. I would. I, I never <laughs> look when you're playing on the minimum salary. You, you don't get workout bonuses laced in the thing. You, you show up voluntarily for all things. I, I think you. <laughs> I think this is something to think about because this happened back when Jim Harbaugh took over for the Niners. I think they were coming out of the lockout deal, and mm-hmm. the Niners hit the ground running. Urban Meyer's experience in college might be beneficial now with all of this stuff because in college you might have spring practice, but you don't have all these OTAs and doing it. Like you just kind of come to training camp and you get ready to play your first game with the days and stuff that you have. You don't have the ability to really have these summer workouts and those things. I do wonder if he'll be able to pull out some of those old kind of get ready plans and utilize them with the Jaguars because Jim Harbaugh was able to go from Stanford to have immediate success with the Niners without offseason workouts and those things. They hit the ground running or whatever. So I do wonder if Coach Meyer will have a plan in place to be like, okay, this isn't that different. I've never experienced it any other way. Let's get it going and let's find a way to to kind of make it happen, regardless of the circumstances. What what if Urban, you know, when it actually happened though, he was like, you know what, we don't need them anyway. We'll just everybody gets OTAs off for the Jaguars. <laughs> We're used to doing it this other way, right? I mean, I don't think that's yeah, going to yeah. happen. No, I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's going to happen. But I do wonder. I mean, John, you bring up a good point because football is a developmental game. It's one that requires a ton of reps and and those things. So. How do you get guys ready to play, particularly when you have such a young team? We watched this young team falter in the fourth quarter of a bunch of games, and, and some of it was like, man, we just got to wait for them to grow up. Well, how can we help them grow up quicker without having OTAs or practices or mini camps? What can be created to allow these guys to work on their skills to give them a chance to be better when they do show up? I think what's interesting too, JP, is, is you know, I think when Urban – talks about, and I hope not putting words in his mouth here, but I think when he talks about growing the culture and the importance of this offseason, I'm sure he'd like to have them on the field practicing. I mean, I don't doubt that football coaches want to practice. So that's 
you know, it's in their nature. But when he's talked about it, he hasn't emphasized the losing practice as much as just losing the time spent around each other and around the coaches. And, you know, so Mm -hmm. I get that the practice is important, but it seems to me like he's equally concerned about just not being able to sit there on February 8th. And if you want to have an assistant coach, sit there and talk ball with a backup inside linebacker and on those sorts of things, eating lunch together, having a meeting where you're talking culture indoctrinating. So I almost think it's half and half. I think he's, he's as concerned about losing that and teaching these guys the quote unquote Jaguars way as actually being on the field. And JP, I'm wondering if you sort of sense the same thing when you listen to urban about that. Well, it feels like it, right? I mean, because that's a, a big piece of getting mm-hmm. this organization going the right way, especially for him standing in front of a team, standing in a weight room, standing, you know, off to the side in the hallway with a guy getting to know his players. Cause he doesn't know half the guys, right. He hasn't been around them and the other half or more will bring in this off season. So how do you get everybody on the same page? I think is, is vital for that. And it's a great point, John. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. That's probably the big piece of what he misses. I think the big piece is what he's missing. And, and I think we'll hear this, right? And it's like, it's the buzzword that everyone utilizes in, in business and in sports. You talk about culture. Culture has little to do with like how many times the Jaguars practice and those things and more how to do with the connectivity between players and players, coaches and players and coach to coach. And the only time you can foster that chemistry and the connectivity is to be around each other. And so I'm sure that he had, probably a bunch or he has a a bunch of team building activities that don't include getting on the grass and, and, and practicing whatever that might be bowling, doing other things, but they have to get together because as much as we talk about it being professional sports, it's a team and you have to be able to think about something bigger than yourself for the team to actually function. Even though we talk about it's like hocus pocus, it's kind of whatever, but that's part of, that's part of the deal. Like it's not something that we should really think about in pro sports, but there's still that level of connectivity and chemistry that you have to have to be a very, very successful team. All right. So I will say this. I I, I think we're a pretty good team on this podcast. You know, we, yeah. we really haven't done this in person ever. Right. So no. this is only a virtual uh, conversation we've had over a year and a half. Right. But so the next time we're all together, let's just, <laughs> let's go play paintball or something. Like yeah. Shoot pool or something. Get an escape room. Um, one yeah. of those things. <laughs> I don't want Laser you tag. Too, yeah, I don't want you to be too scared out about that, John. Or is it like we have to find the maze and kind of get our way out, but uh, it, it'll help us become a tighter team, you know? Yeah, uh, with my luck, I would just I'd get stuck <laughs> and wouldn't escape. Just give up and <laughs> own I'd be the, the first place. person to completely lose at escape room. That'd oh be it. man, <laughs> be a two-person oh, podcast. Uh, it's the Huddle Up podcast and season ticket renewals are here. You better lock in your seats now if you haven't already. Very soon, those who place deposits for new tickets will be able to select seats and they could select yours if you haven't renewed. So you better renew today. Look for that renewal link in your email. Visit jaguars.com or call 904-633-2000. There are a team of representatives ready to help you get back in the bank in 2021. And guess what? We're back in Daly's place. How about this? The schedule starting to come together nicely on the south end of TIAA Bank Field. All Elite Wrestling Dynamite tonight, Wednesday, April 21st at 7:30. Apparently, 
Mike Tyson and Jericho are friends now. Then coming up Friday, April 23rd is Machine Gun Kelly in a sold-out show the night before UFC 261 at the arena. And Tedeschi Trucks Fireside Live, pieces of the Tedeschi Trucks band, Friday, June 11th and June 12th. Tickets soon for those shows at dailysplace.com. Brad Paisley, July 8th as well. So finally fun to talk about events at Daily's Place. J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, John Osher, Trent Walkey, Jaguars general manager, spoke with the media this week. They have plans for uh, Urban Wire and Trent Balky to speak with the full beat for the Jaguars on Wednesday. But we had an early bird conversation or two. I got in for television. You'll see our conversation on the draft special in Action Sports April 29th in the, in the UK as well on Sky Sports NFL. That'll be next week. But Johnny O, you caught up with him on Tuesday on the Ozone podcast and starting with building culture with Urban and finding players to fit that mold. You know, you have to be on the same page. You, you have to know culturally what you're looking for. You have to know schematically what you're looking for. Not every player in this draft is a cultural fit for every team. Uh, not every player in this draft is a schematic fit for, for every team. And that's why everybody's boards look so so much different on draft day. So what you're trying to do is is build your board for you and you specifically. Forget where the noise of where a guy is going to mm-hmm. go in the draft because where they go doesn't doesn't really make a difference. When you figure that 50% or roughly 50% of the first-round picks don't play to that first-round status, that should give you an indication how difficult this is to get it right. So I think as long as you're looking at guys culturally – and uh, schematically, physically, do they fit what you're looking for? Uh, that's your best chance to build a board specific to you and your best chance to execute it properly on, on, on draft day. Okay, John, it's a team affair, obviously. They've had a few months to kind of get things together, get the board going, figure out what player can fit the culture, what player can play, first of all, mm-hmm. and fit that culture all together. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting in speaking with Trent, he made a point when I asked him about Urban to talk about what a contribution he had made from the standpoint of his knowledge of the college players, which I think people expected. I think that was something people threw out there in January when Urban was hired. But uh, as they say, Trent went there immediately. It, it was clear to me that that was not a, a pat answer, that Urban's knowledge of the players, his knowledge of the college game, I would think, uh, Bucky, that that was helped by mm-hmm. him being at Ohio State, but also being at Fox Sports. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that's something to underestimate in this equation. It's not something to underestimate, but it, let's just follow the bird, the, the, the crumbs, right? So I was going to say the bird stuff. <laughs> dropping, the bird but, eats the crumbs. Yeah, we, yeah, the crumbs. Well, we know yeah, all the that. crumbs. We follow the, the crumbs. This is what it probably means as I'm looking at it. Big school players. Brand name players, meaning guys at the big schools that we talk about and celebrate Alabama's, the Ohio State's, the Clemson, those guys. Because when you think about what Urban was exposed to, he was exposed to those. He he wasn't going to some of the, the Mountain West schools and some of the Conference USA schools, not saying that players can't come from there. But I think it would be more of a, a Warren Buffett approach to the draft, brand names, things that you're familiar with, that you know about. Um, because he's an old coach, you're going to think about guys that are four and five stars that were on his recruiting list that he saw those recognizable names, because when you're recruiting, 
at Ohio State, you're recruiting the best of the best. It's not like you're, oh, hey, let me find a one or a two-star and develop them. I want the best of the best. Give me the best players. We're going to take them. We're going to max them out and get them going. I would think in his first draft when they're talking about guys, he is really going to push brand name players that we've seen and recognized from TV and those things because that's the world that he that he comes from. And Bucky, would he also be, I would think, very uh, production conscious, meaning he saw it happen and as opposed to looking for sleepers, which I guess uh, ties into what you're saying. But, uh, you know, I would think that high production on the college level would perhaps uh, dazzle him more than not. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing. I think you're going to see more because scouting and drafting can be two categories, projection versus production. And I think for Urban, coming from the college thing, I think it's going to be more production-based. I need to see it before I can believe it. I need to see you dominate before I can say that you're going to be a dominant player. I don't want to just see your measurables and say, oh, you did this in the 40 and three cone and you have these dimensions and, oh, you're going to go this way. He wants to see it. And I think if we go back and it will be interesting to do, maybe I'll do it before we get on the next pod. Let's go back and look at his recruiting list and see the kind of guys that he took at Florida and Ohio State and how many of those guys were projected, hey, I'm going to take a three-star and then he's going to play well, was Percy Harvin a three-star, four-star, or five-star when he got him? When he took Ezekiel Elliott and all those other guys at Ohio State, how did those guys rank on those recruiting lists? Because I don't think we're going to find many of those quote-unquote hidden gems that he's trying to do. I think it's already hard enough to build a team. It's really hard to build a team where you're also trying to develop guys that you just don't know if they even can play in the league. Let's get to our next Trent Balky bite from the Ozone podcast. You know, there's five picks in the top 65 for the Jaguars this year. Is it a good year for that was the question. Trent Balky says, well, yeah, it's always good to be at the top of the draft. You know, it's like every other draft. There's there's uh, positions that are top heavy. Uh, there's positions that are bottom heavy. There's positions that have guys that all the way throughout the draft that you feel good about where where they are for the value. Uh, so I don't think it's any different than any other drafts that we've been a part of, uh, but yet uh, the positional value has, has changed a little bit uh, in some respects. You know, you look at the tight end position, for instance, you know, there aren't as many tight ends as there used to be, uh, yeah. at least in this given year. So when you look at uh, each position, uh, we feel good about where we've got players valued. We feel good that within the first 65, we can come out of this thing with five starters. And that's what you hope to do. If you get a chance to take a swing at the top 65 players in the draft and you got get to have five of those guys, you, you should hope you can come away with, with, three, with five starters. And, and what I meant by that, of course, before the, the bite was it's, it's nice to have a lot of picks at the top of the draft that doesn't mean you perform so well the year before most likely, but there's, they're in the position now, John, to get some difference making players, guys that can really set a foundation for the organization. A lot of starting football players can come out of this. Yeah, no question. And he did say that uh, every draft is different and talked some, he didn't go into much detail on this because you don't want to give away your hand, but it was interesting tight end, for example, said not as many great tight ends in this draft as there are in some drafts. So you wonder where that's going to affect value on that position. So it'll be interesting maybe after the draft 
to get his full insight into, okay, what positions did you feel like you had to go after early because you didn't feel like you were going to be able to get him late? He did not hint at this at all. But you wonder with a position such as wide receiver, for example, where it's supposedly very, very deep again, if that doesn't force you to go after a different position early, knowing you could get a, a, a very good wide receiver later, certainly that's part of their pre-draft planning. You know, Bucky, I'm curious, you follow GM's histories more than a lot of people do because you study the draft so much. Is that something that Trent does look at specific positions early, take them, thinking that you can get value somewhere else in the draft at another position? Yeah, John, that's a good observation and point that you're bringing up. It's one of those things that you have to assess every year when you're dealing with the draft. You have to be able to look at where is the draft strong and deep and where is it very shallow. And if we're thinking about impact players, that could lead you to take a position that isn't as deep. Take that early so you can get the best of that and then come back and circle around and get another position that is maybe plentiful later on. And so if we think about coming away with five impact players in those picks, you have to assess, okay, wh what, do, what do we need to get? And so if we talk about the tight end position, that might mean taking a tight end before others will say we need to take a tight end. Now, the player's talent and projection needs to match up with where we're selecting him, meaning, hey, this guy's going to be an impact player worthy of being taken in the second round. But, hey, maybe – with that first pick in the second round, maybe we grab the tight end now and come back and get, we'll just throw this out there, a running back a little later in the second round. Or maybe we go and attack the defensive tackle need at the top of the second round. Or maybe we attack it at the bottom of the first round. You know, I mean, in, in thinking about the thing, like mock drafts or whatever, like everything has been about safety. But when we think about it, the position of need has been defensive tackle. So at some point, we have to take a a defensive tackle so if Barmore happens to be there at 25 even though we can say ah maybe he flashes hot or cold but hey let's hey let's grab him now to get him or is there someone else like Levi Anzarike that might be somewhere at the top of the second round let's make sure we get that position filled and so as you're going through these scenarios a lot of the mocking that we're talking about those sexy positions the wide receivers and those things there are a million of those but the big boys not as many. And so you may have to make it a meat and potatoes draft early and then go and get the, the sprinkles for the cupcake later on. Yeah, it's kind of ironic, JP. People, when they grade drafts, I think they look at individual players. Okay, where did I have this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy? To hear Bucky tell it, you have to look at what the team was trying to do overall in maybe assessing the draft more so than trying to say, well, they took this guy five or six positions too early. Well, maybe they were trying to get something done and uh, trying to build an overall class as opposed to uh, specifically looking at each player. I kind of wonder, Bucky and JP, you know, they're going into this draft with 10 players how or uh, 10 selections. Are they going to come out of this draft with 10 players selected? Uh, from what JP and I were talking about, earlier, I, I kind of get the idea not. I kind of get the idea that they'll come out of this with fewer than, uh, than uh, 10 selections. Yeah, and that leads us to our final bite from Trent Baalke about his history of moving around in the draft. What prompts a trade up or down, and how difficult are those to execute? It's usually an obligatory question. 
would a GM be willing to trade that first round pick? I'm going to assume you're not trading number one overall, but never say never, (laughs) (laughs) never say never. But overall, your reputation is is that you don't mind moving around in the draft. What's your philosophy on that, and what prompts you to try to move? How do you approach that? Uh, you got to let the board speak. You know, you you work for 364 days out of the year to get to that day one, or whatever number that mm-hmm. is, and y- you've got a plan, and, and uh, you know you've got the players valued. And when the board starts to fall, yeah. uh, you can't predict how it's going to fall. So your your plan has to be very fluid. And when the opportunity arises, when you're sitting there with the 25th pick and you still have three or four players that you have 25th value on, okay. maybe you do move back. Uh, but that's an organizational decision. That's something Coach and I will work hard on during that day because uh, you can't plan for it. Right. You, you can you – can, uh, I guess you can plan for it, but the reality is draft day isn't predictable. You can plan all you want, right? right. But I so it has to be fluid. So I asked him on the TV interview, you know, what was your is your best draft moment, the one that's most memorable to you in terms of trading or moving a selection? And the first one that hit his head was in the uh, in the draft they got Carlos Hyde in San Francisco. That would have been mm. 2014. He mm. traded three times in like a seven minute span, down, up, down, like either way, and ended up with Carlos Hyde. They executed all those trades at one time. He does have a track record of pulling the trigger mm. and just going for it, Bucky. Yeah, I think that's part of the deal. Um, and I think it's important to know, just for disclosure, uh, Trent Balky worked for a long time with one of my mentors, Scott McLuhan, and we kind of come from the school of we value players over picks. There's some some organizations that always value picks. I want to have a bunch of picks and I'm going to have all these guys and we're going to draft 12 guys or whatever. We got 15 guys that are taken in the, the sixth and seventh round where some people like, I would rather have the really good player and fewer picks. And so if I can get in range to put myself to get what we call a blue chip player, I will give up those later picks to get a blue chip player. And so when you, you think about Two minds coming together, Trent Baalke and Urban Meyer. I've already sit here and outlined Urban Meyer wants four and five stars. He's not trying to get two-star yeah. players. He wants four and five stars. I want the marquee name. And then you have Baalke, who is kind of trading around like crazy, is not afraid to trade to get in range. That absolutely believes that the Jaguars may come out of this with six players, with four of those maybe up at the beginning of the draft, and they'll be like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. I got four guys that I really, really wanted. I'll give away those rest of the picks because the four that I want are better players than what potentially could be behind those other guys. And the other thing that we've seen of late, undrafted free agents. I think undrafted free agents are making rosters more than the day three players. And so if you have the ability to identify undrafted and you know how to develop those guys, you focus your effort and energy on making sure you win day one and day two. And then if you don't have as many picks on day three, you focus on being able to cultivate all those undrafted free agents. I think the number, JP, is they have five day one and day two picks and five day three picks, right? Yes. I mean that right? That's right. Trade every round four, five, six, seven to move up if you can. Mm-hmm. trade all the day two picks to move up to get me out of there by Thursday night. Oh, and I'm are, fine. with. Are you Mike Dicker? That's what we're doing. What's good for me. Exactly is, that, what good for me is that what we're doing? You, 
are you gonna put on the the, the Ricky Williams dreads? I will put on and go Ricky play Williams golf the rest dreads. of the day. Like we won't be Ricky Williams dreads. If, like if you now can do that, that to move up three spots in the first round, I'm fine with it. I'm fine you, with it. You're gonna have on the Trevor Lawrence wig. You're gonna have the Trevor Lawrence I will put wig on, on. Whatever wig. We're gonna we're gonna do the podcast. We, at 8.30 on, on Saturday. He's going to have a blonde wig on, an 84 Kyle Pitts jersey on. He's going to have yep. all that. That's fine. J.C. Horn. I'll settle for one <laughs> day two pick. Fine. One, one early day one, two pick. One, do you, have a, do you have a deadline on it? Like, it has to be submitted by 7 p.m. on Friday night. Like, it has to be by 9 That'd o'clock. You want to be done by 9 o'clock? No late night that hours. That would be for- ideal, but I'll take it. <laughs> No late night hours for J.O. No late night hours. (laughs) And by the way, I get that Trevor Lawrence is going to put this team in prime time. I'm still in favor of 16 1 o'clock home games. Oh, man. (laughs) Hey, I mean, it's all about Johnny O's schedule. You know, he's got to mow the lawn every once in a while. Johnny O, you have have 6 p.m. reservations every Sunday. You have 6 p.m. So you can make sure you cruise. You cruise by the spot right after right after the game. The reservation is my couch. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. It's my back porch and my couch. This is the Huddle Up podcast. You can uh, listen to the entire Trent Balky conversation with Johnny O on the Ozone podcast, available on the official Jaguars podcast network, a free download, and you'll see the television version in Jacksonville on draft night, the 29th, and in the U.K., you're listening to this you'll see it on sky sports nfl coming up a little bit earlier next week uh we have one social media question today and we've gone over this topic but let's get the question there this this gentleman was nice enough to send the question in so at rich edwin edwn who in your opinion is the best tight end and safety prospect for our jags we've gone through this a few times that's a good one though Um, okay so best tight end prospects i will say two guys. I would think Pat Freermuth from Penn State because he's a traditional classic tight end. How tall uh, is he, Bucky? Is he tall? He's not Kyle Pitts tall, is he? No, I think he's like 6'4"-ish. I think, I think that's okay. where he kind of comes in. And then Hunter mm-hmm. Long from Boston College would be the second because what the Jags need, I think they still need a <laughs> classic Y. Like I, I know take Tyler Eifert out of the mix like he's there, but he's not there like Need a traditional wide tight end, like a guy that can play and be an every down guy attached to the hip of the tackle, put his hand in the dirt, run routes and do those things. And in fact, if they were daring to fill the position, I would like to see him double down at the position, get one and come back and get another one. I think Firemouth makes sense. What I wonder about is, do you have to go get him at 25? And if you go get him at 25, are you overdrafting him when you could get one of the other guys, is that value worth it? Is he that much better than who you could get in the third round for what else you yeah. might get? And that's my um, only concern with it. But, but I mean, I, I think that's a question yeah. you're asking about a bunch yeah. of different guys. So is he that much better? But I also think that that's an issue that teams run into at tight end and a lot. We've talked in this podcast, tight ends fascinating to him. Every mm-hmm. team needs him. And yet, on draft day, it seems like teams start talking themselves out of how much they need them because they're hard to find and because they're risky and because they're not perfect coming out and there's always flaws in them. So I guess I kind of agree with Bucky. I think the approach may be 
somewhere in these top seven guys that you got, you've got five in the top 65 and a couple more. Maybe you do have to take two to get what you need and hope that one of them works out because this team's been so deficient at that spot for so long. And I get that Urban and, and Trent aren't thinking about the, the long-term deficiencies, but you've got to get that spot filled in this day and age. So, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I'm talking around myself a little bit because it's such a difficult position. I Maybe you pass on Friermuth and then take a combination of uh, Brevin Jordan, Hunter Long, somewhere down there and get a combination that would work at that spot because they got to get it fixed. And then the other position group, safety, you know, the Jags haven't, selected in the draft a true free safety since james sample 2015 Mm. that didn't work out so Uh, where where, where's um, the sweet spot here i mean there there are a bunch of safeties and really i mean it's it's like going to the ice cream shop and kind of figuring out what what is your flavor what do you like um uh we've talked about trevor mori for forever um javon holland from oregon is another playmaker ball hawk but then there are a ton of guys that have impact potential, but they have to be played a certain way. So you have Andre Cisco from Syracuse, who is intriguing because he's a ball hog. He had 13 interceptions in two years. Like he just gets his hands on the football. So do you want a playmaker that's back there? Because he could be that guy. Caden Stern is a great athlete who had an outstanding freshman year, hasn't played to that level, but you talk about a height, weight, speed, sideline to sideline playmaker who was a really ballyhooed recruit when he went to Texas. And so a lot of it depends on how they decide to play and without seeing them or even hearing them talk about their style of play in the back end, it's really hard to predict what they want and which direction they'll go. Yeah. I think safety, I may have asked Bucky about this on the podcast. I almost think the NFL game and the rules have evolved to the point where it's impossible or very close to impossible to find a great safety along the lines of where people thought of it 20, 25 years ago. Meaning if you really think you're going to find somebody who can hit, who can play it at a high level, be incredibly dynamic and cover, you know, good luck because you're trying to find a cornerback and a linebacker's body. It's almost the same thing as the tight end position where you've almost got to find, okay, I've got a guy who can do this and a guy who can do this. But if I think I'm going to find a guy who can do both at a high level, they may be once every seven or eight years that you're going to find that guy who, who can do it all. Kellen Winslow's not walking through that door. Maybe Ronnie Lott in his prime is not walking through that door anymore because the game has changed where you can't expect that out of that guy. So, you know, Merrick, obviously, I think is the big-time talent out of the class. Once you get beyond that, I think you're trying to find a guy who can fill a specific role and not be – it'll be every down – but they're not going to be the dynamic superstar that I think fans are thinking of at that spot. There you have it. Thanks for the social media question this week. And that'll wrap it up for the huddle up podcast this week. We are one week away, a little over a week from the NFL draft. We'll have full team coverage on Jaguars.com next week. Uh, Bucky, what do you got coming up? The, uh, the clock's ticking for draft night. The clock is ticking, but I'm happy that I will be doing some radio on draft night. I'm doing uh coast in the coverage on Fox sports radio. Uh, doing the draft live, Jake Laser, myself, Kevin Burkhart, or whatever. So I get a chance to talk about it or whatever, and then hopefully we'll connect and we'll do some some post draft pods and all of that other stuff. So yeah. right now it's just getting ready for the big day. That's it's, it's kind of, kind of like a mini Super Bowl for us. Uh, John, that, that was some big league name dropping right there by Bucky. I must say that was a name. Yeah. That was a name drop. That was a name Remember, drop. Bucky thinks those guys are dropping his name. That's where he comes from. <laughs> I, I, but it, it's a. Uh, 
I will name drop as well, though. And I think oh, people, see? You know, <laughs> well, no, I'm about to name drop Bucky because our Jaguars.com coverage continues. I know people this day don't read as much as they used to, but Bucky and I have been working on this draft series that JP reads before it goes out. And uh, the Jaguars.com draft series this year, mainly because of Bucky's contribution, has been outstanding. And I think you get a full feel for certainly the first two or three rounds of the draft and where the Jaguars might go in all this. If you read our series, which continues as we move along, the uh, defensive side of the ball will be Thursday, Friday, next Monday, and Tuesday. And uh, it's certainly worth the read because of Bucky's input. Great job. I, pre- I appreciate that. Uh, John, John, John O gave me some flowers. How about that? Yeah. Nice. Oh, that's, that's, that's nice. Every now and then, look at that. Look you at can't that. wait to get on there with Jay Glazer, Bucky. <laughs> uh, uh, Kevin Burkhart. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, my up. goodness. Wait a minute. Hold on now. <laughs> uh, okay, because, Jay, I've seen you pump out stuff celebrating Peter King joining the pod. Oh, yeah. You've had other people join the pod. Trim that were very, yeah. I mean, very prominent names on the Ozone which has your glasses and everything. I mean, just I'm just saying. Pete, just wait till Pete Frisco hits this week, too. Pete oh, Frisco. Mighty Pete. Yeah, yeah, Mighty Pete Frisco. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just saying, some of us, I mean, some of us just shop at different aisles. I'm just at that that clearance aisle. You're over there at the, the high-end rack, you know? Peter you King's big look, time, yeah. He is. You don't <laughs> even look at price tags. You just you just buy it. I mean, we keep going down the list. I've had, uh, I've had Jim Trotter on. I've had, uh, I've had a lot of guys. Steve Weiss, Trent Balky. Yeah, pretty good list. It's a it's a great <laughs> list. Both lists are fantastic, by the way, and uh, we'll look forward to the coverage coming up next week on uh, Fox Sports Radio, of course, on Thursday night, and our coverage on Jaguars.com. Bucky will be a big piece of that Friday and Saturday as well. Remember to subscribe to the official Jaguars Podcast Network on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Give us a five star treatment and a comment as well, and we will have one of these podcasts before the draft. So we're acting like we're not going to talk again before the draft, but we will speak again next week. Have a good one, Bucky. Hey, man. You know it. You guys be good. J.O., stay positive. Stay positive. We're a week away. We're a week away from doing it. It's all about me. Three picks. (laughs) That'll do it this week for the Huddle Up Podcast.